Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Welcome to Coastal. I'm Pastor Chris. Great to have you with us today. Thank you so much uh, for tuning in, for joining us. Those of you who are here uh, in person, thank you for uh, uh, coming here today to our campus. And uh, the many of you that are home watching us online, thank you as well uh, for tuning in and and joining with us today in worship as we engage together uh, in this experience of worship. Hey, uh, before we get started, I want to just share uh, one um, exciting thing that's happening uh, right now. As a matter of fact, today uh, we are having, if you haven't heard yet, uh, an an open house, an open house, and uh, not here on our campus, uh, but right across the street at Orange Grove Middle School. In about a month, and we hope to be able to announce this sometime soon, a more definitive date, but sometime soon we actually will begin a massive construction uh, here on our campus. Our, our old building, our children's ministry building, uh, gets totally uh, gutted and rebuilt and expanded upon. And then we're going to be connecting these two buildings. It's going to be very, very exciting. And all that starts about in about a month. Well, when it starts, our children's ministry is going to be meeting across the street. They're going portable. We're staying here. They're going portable. But it's going to be very easy and convenient for parents. You literally park your car, drop your kids off in the children's building over there at Orange Grove Middle, and then walk right over here for service. Now, so today, immediately after the service, you're all invited just to walk over there and uh, to check out what it's going to look like and uh, see all the different uh, uh, hallways and kind of the decorative things we have got put up and uh, the the classrooms, the experiences. And for those of you that were a part of our church in the very beginning, you know that's how we started. We were a a portable church. We set up and broke down every single Sunday for four 14 years, and uh, so we're back at it, <laughs> and, and hopefully just for about 10 months. So uh, anyway, but today after, after service, we would invite you to go across the street and uh, check everything out over there. You know, right now, because of our online uh, presence, uh, we truly are one church in multiple locations all over Charleston, right? Uh, all, over, uh, all over the country and, uh, and all over the world. And so, in fact, if you are watching us online today, do me a favor, leave a little comment and let us know where you're watching from. Maybe that's just right here, West Ashley, Somerville, Mount Pleasant, Johns Island, James Island, wherever you're tuning in from, just leave us a little, a little note. Uh, maybe you're here in the state somewhere. We've got good friends that watch our service regularly uh, in Columbia, Greenville, Myrtle Beach. Uh, and then we have lots of people all over the country watching us on a regular basis. We have people tune in from Georgia and Michigan and Illinois and Texas and California. Now, uh, Pastor Ryan tells me, Ryan oversees our, our tech booth, and he tells me over the last several months, get this, we have had viewers uh, from all around the world. We've had viewers from Turkey, uh, China, Canada, Mexico, Brazil, France, India, uh, Guam. I know Kathy Lieber uh, is out there at Guam, and I've got some friends in the UK that are watching us. So again, wherever you're tuning in, welcome. Uh, Let us know where you're watching from. Today, uh, we are wrapping up this three-week series that we have been in with about 25-plus other churches in the Charleston uh, community called Undivided. Uh, uniting Charleston through gospel-driven reconciliation. And I hope uh, that you've enjoyed this series. I hope it's been challenging, encouraging, uh, convicting. Again, it really is simply uh, a start. 
Um, it's a part of you know, what I would call you know, a willingness to have an ongoing conversation. It's a commitment on our part uh, not to remain silent, uh, but to continue to speak out uh, about sin, all sin, and injustice. And as always, as always, our, our primary purpose is to point people to the love of Jesus and to the hope of the gospel. And that's what we do every Sunday, and that's what this uh, series has been about as well. But... All that said, guess what? It is easy. It is easy to remain silent, isn't it? It is. You know, it's just, that's our nature. You know, just a hope that, you know, a problem will just go away, that it'll get better on its own. Now, new parents, if we're honest, and uh, especially, you know, more often than not, new dads know exactly what I'm talking about, remaining silent. Uh, you know, think about it like this. New parents, you come home from the hospital, right? When that precious little gift from God, I mean, that, that, that beautiful, perfect, and peaceful in every way gift from God has been given to you. And then overnight, that little precious one seems to turn into a screaming, yelling, sleepless, demon seed monster from the pit of hell. No, not your children. They're beautiful, right? That would never happen. Anyway, and, and, and it seems to go on, right? For night after night after sleepless night. And, and you're exhausted, moms and dads. You're tired. And, and then just when you are finally ready, you're almost like about to hit that, that sweet, sweet, you know, deep rim cycle of sleep. They, they, they're at it again, right? They're up screaming and yelling, and it starts again. But you hear your spouse, probably your wife, rustle around a little bit, and you think to yourself, maybe she'll take care of it this time. Right? I mean, and you kind of keep a mental score in your mind, and you're like, come on, haven't I done enough? I mean, I, I took the last turn. Or, or you take like the, the, mor the moral, like parental high ground, and you're like, okay, tonight's the night. This is the night, you know, I become a man. And, uh, and we let this little kid sleep through the night, you know, by themselves, right? We're, this is it. This is the night we let them, uh, you know, cry themselves to sleep. Or, or you're a new dad, and uh, maybe you add this to your thoughts. After all, she's breastfeeding. I mean, like, what am I supposed to do? There's nothing that I can do to help. And so all these thoughts are going through your mind, and so you lie there, still and motionless, like a dead possum on Ashley River Road, you know, pretending to be asleep until your spouse... Your wife gets up and takes care of the problem. Now, I am not saying that I have actually ever done anything like that. I've just heard about it, you know, on the interwebs, right, <laughs> on, the, on the internet. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a myth, right? Um, it, it's a conspiracy theory out there. Anyway, but I've heard about men doing stuff like that. Now, to be very honest with you, uh, personally, I sleep so deeply and soundly, and I really don't have that great of, uh, of hearing, that I literally do, I, I can sleep through anything, 
I mean anything. Never, never in my entire life have I ever gotten up from you know, sleeping the next day and said anything like this the next morning. Wow, did you hear that storm last night? I mean, I've never said that. That's never come out of my mouth. You know, whoo, did you hear those fireworks or you know, that hurricane or that? Uh, I mean, I just, I, I could literally could sleep through anything. So much so, when Lydia was first born, uh, the very next day, uh, you know, after you know, we came home from the hospital and not too long after that, um, I said to Janet, wow, she slept through the night. <laughs> and Janet was like, Chris, what planet were you sleeping on? You know, so I, I learned really quick to stop saying that. But, um, but my point is, for all, of all that, the reality is that if we're honest, in most areas of life, it's easier to remain silent, right? I mean, it's easier to do nothing. Because if I, if I get involved, if I take action, if I speak out and do something, it requires something of me. Right? I mean, many times it requires that you enter into other people's pain and, and hardship and difficulty, and, and many times then you feel pain as a result. I will be inconvenienced, right? It will require time and effort, maybe money or energy and change. And nobody likes change, right? I mean, no one likes to admit that maybe they've been wrong. You know, maybe they've been on the wrong side of a, of a particular issue. I want you to hear James 4.17 loud and clear. Listen to this. Remember, it is what? What's the word? It is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Wow. You see, not only is it easy to remain silent, but it's also sinful, the Bible says, when we know we should act. And so this series, really, in a way, is kind of our effort, you know, to wake each other up a little bit. You know, to hear the cries of our brothers and sisters of color, or really our brothers and sisters, you know, anywhere in the community who might be hurting, and to take action and get involved. And to do that, we've been using Micah 6.8 as kind of the springboard uh, each week for the series, it says this. No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He, he says that, hey, if you ever wanted to know, you know, ever wondered what, what God requires, what he expects of his people, this is it. To do what is right, to do justice. We talked about that the first week. To love mercy, that was last Sunday. And then today, walk humbly with your God. Now, let's talk about that. What is humility? It says here to walk humbly with your God. Now, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but rather it's thinking of yourself less. In other words, the focus has just shifted. The focus is not on you, it's on God, and it's on others. Humility is the opposite of pride. And if there's anything that God can't stand, and yet we struggle with, it's pride. And you see that all through the Bible. Listen to these verses real quickly. Job 35, 12. And when they cry out, God does not answer because of their what? Their pride. Psalm 101, 5. I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. I will not endure conceit and pride. Proverbs eight thirteen. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. 
Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. Proverbs 11.2, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Isaiah 2.17, human pride will be humbled. Human arrogance will be brought down. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. Or how about this one? This one's really interesting. Uh, What about King Nebuchadnezzar? You know, in, in Daniel 4.30, when he is out on the, on the roof, kind of overlooking his royal, uh, his, his royal palace, and with great pride, almost with, you can just imagine, as you read this passage, his chest just puffed out in pride. He says this, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Now the Bible says that even while those arrogant words were on his lips, God declared that he was going to lose everything. Even, get this, his own mind. And that he would spend the rest of his life living in the fields with the wild animals and would eat grass, eat grass like a cow. Wow. And then you fast forward to the New Testament. Listen to this. 1 Peter 5, 5 says this. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. I like that word picture there. Dress yourself. Dress yourself in humility. In other words, what Peter is saying there is that, hey, make a choice every day. Just like you choose what clothes you're going to put on, make the choice every day to put on humility as you relate to other people. So here's what I want us to talk about today. What does that look like? You know, what does it look like to walk humbly with God? And, and how does having a humble walk with God affect our harmony and unity with other people? Now, guess what? Here's the great news. We don't have to guess about that. We don't have to wonder about that. All we have to do is look to Jesus. Because Jesus is the perfect example of what it looks like to walk humbly with God and with other people. Harmony and humility. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul was driving at in Philippians chapter 2. This is like the classic passage in all the Bible that talks about the mind of Christ, his humble attitude, the humility of Jesus, and then what that looks like in in walking that out with other people. So follow along as I read Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Now, he's basically beginning this chapter by saying, hey, if you really belong to Jesus, okay, if you say you've experienced the love of Christ, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if your heart belongs to God, then this is what that looks like. Okay, this is where that should lead. So in other words, if all these things are true about you, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, listen to this, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Wow. What's he talking about there? He's talking about unity. 
He's talking about how we relate to one another. He's talking about reconciliation. He says here, listen, agree wholeheartedly with each other, love one another, work together with others in in one mind, in one purpose. Now, that's a powerful statement there. Wouldn't you love to be able to say, you know what, that verse right there describes my marriage. That describes our family. That describes our, our company, you know, our team. That describes our church. Or how about this? That describes Charleston. That describes our community. Wouldn't you like to be able to say say that? That we love one another. We're of one mind and one purpose. Now the truth is, you might push back a little bit today and go, hey, come on, Pastor Chris, now. Seriously? I mean, that's a pipe dream. I mean, that's never going to happen on this side of eternity. Well, the next few verses show us, as much as it depends on us, how, how that's possible. And so that's what I want us to talk about today. I want to give you four very simple and very practical steps toward walking humbly with God and reconciliation with, with one another. So number one, if you want to get along, if you want to create unity and walk humbly with God in your relationships and with him, number one, stop competing. Stop competing. Look at verse three. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. The New International Version says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Stop competing with everybody. In other words, it doesn't always have to be about you. Now, let let, let me say that by my nature, okay, personally, I am a very, very competitive person. Raise your hand if you're competitive. Okay, you even even put your hand up fast, didn't you? Because you want to win. You're messed up, right? Okay. Um, But too often, the reality is, you know what? We are competing with the very people who are supposed to be on our own team, our own family, in our own community. You know, stop trying to prove that you're smarter than everyone. Stop underscoring where other people are weak and you're strong. Stop trying to leverage situations where you always put yourself in the winner's circle. In other words, look to make other people successful. Look to put other people in situations where they might shine, where they might win. Harry Truman once said this. Listen to this. It is amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. Wow. You ever find yourself competing with your husband or wife? I I see a lot of marriages where husbands and wives are not complimenting each other as much as they're just always competing with each other and keeping score. The Phillips translation of this verse says, never act from motives of rivalry. Now as a kid, how many of you were involved in uh, sibling rivalries, right? Remember that? You used to compete as to, I mean crazy stuff, over who got the biggest bowl of ice cream, who got the most food at dinner, right? Who got to watch their favorite television show, who got to sit in the front seat of the car, all kinds of stuff. The problem is you've grown up now and you're still competing, You're still trying to prove yourself as an adult, and you're supposed to be on the same team, the same family, the same church, the same human race, the same community. James 4, 1 and 2 says this, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. That sounds like a description of what's happening in our world today. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't have it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. What's he saying? 
He's saying one of the primary causes of conflict are these competing selfish desires. This selfishness. So first of all, number one, stop competing. Number two, if you want to walk humbly with God and get along with others, number two, eliminate pride. Eliminate pride. Look at the next part of verse three. He says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Wow. That right there, let me tell you, that is a radical, radical concept. Treat other people better than yourself. If we would just follow that right there, man, it would solve the problem. This is, that, that's the exact opposite of what our world and our culture and the prince of this air, you know, uh, elevates. We've elevated selfishness to an art form. And again, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but rather it's just thinking of yourself less. When he says here, thinking of others as better, in other words, it's not a value statement here. It's not a value judgment. He's not saying superior. It's not that you think poorly of yourself. It's just now that your focus has changed because you're a believer. You're a follower of Jesus. And so your focus now is on others. It's others-centered rather than self-centered. Look at this next verse, Proverbs 13.10. Pride leads to arguments. Those who take advice are wise. Every married couple ought to have that verse memorized. Pride leads to arguments. You ought to have that written, posted on your refrigerator. Pride leads to arguments. Let me ask you, husbands and wives, you ever been in an argument where you flat out knew you were wrong at some point, but you wouldn't admit it? That happens to my wife, Janet, all the time. I'm convinced of it. No. Um, in fact, let, single adults, let, let me go off track here just for a second. Single adults, let me let you in on a little relational secret, okay? And this is especially true for single women here today or watching this. The more secure you are in who you are, and who God made you to be, and what God says about you in, in his word. And the more you let God love you, the less likely you're going to be attracted to a conceited, prideful jerk. Insecure women, really insecure people, but insecure women are easy prey and they settle because they don't know who they are. Let me, let me tell you something. If the person you are dating always has to be right, is an expert on everything, run. Okay, get out now. You are in for a world of future pain and hurt. There's a huge, huge difference between confidence and pride. Because of your insecurity, you've told yourself, well, he or she is just confident. No, he's not. He's an arrogant jerkwad, okay? That's what he is. True confidence flows from a humble walk with God. Pride flows from selfishness. Number three, be considerate. Be considerate. Look at verse four. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Now, he's not saying, he's not saying, again, it's not that you don't care about yourself. He's just saying, don't just be interested in yourself. Be considerate of others. Now, again, guys, this is so simple, isn't it? And yet it's so very, very profound and, and potentially life-changing because we don't do it. 
That's why there's problems in our marriage. That's why we have problems in our family. That's why we have problems in our, in our businesses or with other people and other people in our community because we're just not paying attention to their needs. He says, don't just look. Don't just pay attention to your own interest. Pay attention to the interest of others. But our nature is it's just so easy to get wrapped up in our own little world and forget that there are other people in our lives and in our community who need our love and attention. And the Bible says here that if you want to lower the conflict and increase unity, be considerate. You know, when I'm insensitive to others' needs, when I only see my own needs, when I only talk about my own feelings and how tired I am, how pressured I feel, when I'm insensitive to others... It, it, it eventually creates conflict and, and disunity. And so again, here in this, this classic passage, Paul is giving us very simple and yet very practical steps. He says, stop competing. Um, eliminate pride. Be considerate. And then finally, this is where all this is leading to. Number four, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. It all leads up to verse five. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now again, he's saying, listen, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, this is where the rubber meets the road. You, you must have, he says, the same attitude, the same mindset that Jesus had because Jesus is our model. He is our example. And so if you want to know what humility is, if you want to know how to walk humbly with God, if you want to know how to get along with other people, he's saying, look to Jesus. Now, okay, so easy, you know, obvious question is, so what was his attitude? Well, he explains it in this next, this next section of Scripture. Look at verse 6. Though he was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. So here's what he did. Write these down. First of all, he set aside his privilege and his power. He set aside his privilege and his power. In fact, another translation of this verse says that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be selfishly held on to. In other words, Jesus willingly, humbly set aside all the privileges and power of heaven for you and for me. He willingly gave all that up. Now the crazy thing is there's been a lot of heated discussion recently about uh, white privilege or, or white advantage. And I, I heard somebody explain it this way. White privilege or white advantage doesn't mean that your life wasn't hard. It just means that your skin color isn't what made it hard. Now, but truthfully, listen to this for a second. Set all that aside for just a moment. If you are a follower of Jesus and you are arguing with people about white privilege or white advantage or any privilege or advantage, you are still missing the point. Stop arguing about what power or privilege or advantage you may or may not have. You see, what this passage is really saying, what this is getting at, is that if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you and I actually are supposed to be willing to set aside whatever privileges or powers or advantage that you might have, regardless of your race, by the way, and, and leverage them for the kingdom of God. 
You're willing to set aside whatever privilege, power, advantage you might have and use that for the benefit of other people. That's the discussion. That's the discussion. Because Jesus Christ did that for you and me. Number verse 7. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. In other words, he had a servant's heart. He had a servant's heart. Now, I've said this before. How do you know if you have a servant's heart? The answer is, how do you act when you're treated like one? Like a servant. You see, our primary position again, as followers of Jesus, is always one of servant. And then verse eight. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. In other words, he was willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others. He was willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others. Look look at this passage. Think about it. What he's saying here is that Jesus Christ in heaven with God, seated at the right hand of the Father, he was willing to descend from all of that, set all that aside, leave the privilege and power of heaven, and come to earth as a man. And not just any man, but a servant. And then, not just any servant, but a servant who was willing to die. And not just any death, but a criminal's death on a cross. He kept, what did he do? He kept going lower and lower and lower and lower. And you see, he was willing to do all of that, all of that, for you and for me. And what the Bible teaches is that that is supposed to be our attitude. And yet, that is so totally different, right, than everything that this world teaches. But you know what? That's okay. That's okay, because the last I checked, this world is not our home. You and I answer to a higher power, a higher authority. Now, what was the result of that? What was the result of of Jesus? What happened to Jesus because of his willingness to humbly walk with God, to lower himself again and again and again for your sake and mine, to set aside his privilege, his power for you and for me? Well, this is where it gets good. I'll tell you what happened. God exalted him. God lifted him up. Look at, look at the rest of this passage, verses nine through 11. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And let me tell you something. The Bible says that if you and I will do the same, if we will have the same attitude that Jesus had, if we will walk humbly with God, if we will put others ahead of ourselves and have the same mindset that one day God will lift you up as well. 1 Peter 5, 6 says it this way, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Now let me state one very simple and plain fact though. It is impossible to live that way on your own, on your own. It's just flat out impossible for you and I to live this lifestyle of total unselfishness and humility. 
Because it's my nature, and it's your nature, and it's human nature to be what? To be selfish and prideful. You cannot live totally unselfishly with your spouse, with your family, with the people you work with, with the people who are different from you, with the people who are difficult in your sphere of influence. You cannot do that by yourself. So Pastor Chris, what's the solution? The answer, the solution, is letting Jesus Christ live through you. Don't you see? This is what we keep driving at. Week after week here at Coastal, during this series, it is the power of the gospel. This is why that ultimately Jesus Christ really is the answer for today. It says here, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now this is important. Hear me for a second. Being like Jesus is not just a matter of simple imitation. It's a matter of habitation. In other words, it's not a matter of just saying, you know what, I'm gonna be like Jesus if it kills me. I'm just gonna be like Jesus unless it kills me. Guess what? It probably will. Because he was perfect and you're not. And neither am I. You see, it's a matter of habitation. It's a matter of letting Christ, through the daily power of the Holy Spirit, live through me. You know, every day when I consciously choose to put somebody else's rights before my own, when I consciously choose to serve my wife or my children or my coworkers, when I consciously choose to build other people up instead of tearing them down, when I consciously choose to sacrifice for the benefit of others, when I consciously choose to listen and learn and to serve other people in, in my community, I am letting Jesus Christ live through me. But I want you to hear this. Jesus Christ cannot direct your life or lead your life until he is the director of your life or the Lord of your life. And that is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. When you humble yourself, repent of your sin, and place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. Have you done that? You see, the Bible says that one day, listen to this, one day, either in this life or in the next, everyone, everyone, presidents and politicians, athletes and musicians, Black people and white people, Hispanic people and Asian people, movie stars and influencers, rich people and poor people, Democrats and Republican, everyone, everyone in this room, everyone watching online, the Bible says that we will all humbly bow the knee before Jesus and we will recognize him for who he is and who he has always been, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do it now. Do it now. What are you waiting on? Humble yourself before God, the Bible says, and he will lift you up. Not only will he give you a home forever in heaven, he will forgive you of your sin. He will give you purpose and power and meaning for living your everyday life here and now. One day, one day we will all bow the knee and declare what is true. Jesus is Lord. 
Listen, you will either do that here and now on this side of eternity in humility and repentance and worship and adoration and in a loving relationship or one day you will bow the knee and you will declare that to be true but it'll be in fear and terror and regret because you waited too long. Listen, what are you waiting on? Jesus really is the answer of this age. It's not politics. It's not a president. It's, it's, it's nothing. It's none of this stuff that people are fighting and dividing over. Listen, the answer is Christ, and we know it. And if you really know it, let's live that way. And let's share it with the world around us. Listen, that's why, we, that's why Jesus didn't come back last night. He only didn't come back for one reason and one reason alone. Because he's still waiting on more people to come to him. And he uses you and me as the conduits of his love to share that good news and the hope of this world and the world to come with everybody around us, where you live, work, parent, and play. Are you ready? Are you ready to declare that here and now? Jesus is Lord. And I ask him to be the Lord of my life. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I do thank you for your word. And I thank you for your plan. You know, left to ourselves, our decline, our, 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 our default is... It is selfishness. It is pride. But Father, I thank you for willingly sacrificing your one and only son, Jesus, so that we might be forgiven and we might see another way. Father, the world around us, it is, at times, it looks to be in chaos and turmoil and hatred and division. And yet Jesus Christ, he lived another way. He showed us another path. It's the one of humility. It's the one of servanthood, the one of sacrifice. Father, we know that really is the answer. I pray that we would live that every day. We would treat other people as better than ourselves. We'd be considerate of, of those around us. We would open our ears and not just be content to do nothing and remain silent, but that we might move into action. Listen, if you're here today or you're watching this online and you are ready to move into action, you are ready to move into a loving, personal relationship with God through your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, you're not watching this by accident or mistake. God knew that you would be here. He's got you here for a reason and he is ready for you to come home. There's nothing that you need to do to clean up your life, to clean up your act so that you might come before God. Listen, the work has already been done. The price has already been paid, and it was paid through his son, Jesus. So if today you would just simply pray something like this, Dear Heavenly Father, I humble myself today, and I admit what I've already known for, for a long time. God, I've messed up. I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and today I believe that one has been provided. Your son, Jesus Christ. I believe he went to the cross to pay for my sin. He rose from the dead to prove that he really is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And today I put all of my hope and my faith and my trust in him and him alone. And now, God, for the rest of my life, 
I want Jesus to live through me by the power of your Holy Spirit that renews me today. And today, God, I want to just live for Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to become more and more day by day like you already see me right here and right now. Perfect, brand new, complete. Thank you, Father. Thank you. And Father, I continue to pray for our community, for the other churches in our community who've been speaking out about racial reconciliation. God, may we truly be the church and lead the way. We love you, and I pray these things today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.